Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Maggie Kelly. And Maggie is a mindful life coach, meditation instructor, podcaster, and public speaker. She's considered more of an awakener as opposed to a teacher. Maggie inspires hundreds to illuminate the limiting beliefs and roadblocks standing in the way of living the life they envision and awaken to a life of purpose and meaning. There really are so many different types of betrayals, and one type has to do with our expectations. When we expect and have a certain expectation, let's say to have healthy children, and we don't get that, can we feel betrayed? My next guest, Maggie Kelly, is going to shed lots of light on this topic. If you've had any expectation that didn't go your way, you're going to get so much out of this episode. Here's Maggie. Oh, I'm very excited because we have Maggie Kelly today, and we're going to be talking about what happens when expectations go awry and and where are we responsible for our betrayals. So, trails. So welcome, Maggie. So glad to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. First of all, we were talking a little bit before we just started recording. You were just on a very interesting trip. Where'd you go? <laughs> I went to India. Yeah, I was in India for about three weeks with a group of other teachers. I'm a meditation teacher and uh, certified through the Chopra Center. And I went with a couple of my colleagues. Oh, wonderful. That must have been an interesting trip. I know a lot of people talk about going, you know, going on that big, long India excursion, but. uh, It It is not for the faint at heart. In fact, I told my daughter, look, if you're going to go to India, please go before you're 50. (laughs) before you're too too old to manage the alleyways and the streets and the pollution and the noise. Wow. Okay. Well, we're glad you're back. So talk to us a little bit about, let's just talk about expectations because, you know, everybody listening to this, to this show, it's, it's all about healing from betrayal, physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And we always want to know what got us into a certain situation and of course, how we can heal and get out of it. But let's talk about expectations. Yeah. You know, I think that it's important when we are talking about betrayal Um, and having a breakthrough from that experience or um, coming out of the uh, grief of having been betrayed, I think it's important for us to stop and be a little mindful as to, you know, how did we get there? As opposed to looking at the other person, maybe looking inward. And I teach mindfulness and meditation on a daily basis, and I'm a mindful life coach. And the first place that I always start with any of my students or clients is that looking inward. Can we pause for a moment and stop and ask, what expectations did I have about this relationship? Because I think for most of us, we all have some kind of an expectation of a relationship and we have a vision in our minds of how that relationship is supposed to look. Or um, I know that for me... um, I'm a mother of two and my youngest son um, was born with cystic fibrosis and it wasn't something that I anticipated. I had no idea. And for a while there, I thought, you know, what the heck? This doesn't fit my pictures. Mm. I had this picture of the two kids and the husband and me and the beautiful house and the picket fence and like some of us also idealize. Um, and it got blown up 
in that instant. And I guess in essence, you could perhaps look at this as like a betrayal, but it was a betrayal mostly of my expectation, an expectation that was unfulfilled and that for the rest of my son's life will never be fulfilled, right? He, he, cystic fibrosis is a chronic progressive life-shortening disease with no cure. And so the possibility that he may not um, grow into an old man or even have children is quite real. So it sheds a new light and a new perspective on this expectation that I walked into the relationship with mm. as his mom. And, and I just want to stop you there because there are so many people listening to this right now that are probably looking at their own scenarios and saying, you know, they had a certain expectation for maybe the the family with the white picket fence, like you said, that the healthy kids and and something went a little bit awry. And and it is a, we can look at that as a betrayal. So how did you how do you make sense and make peace and make meaning out of that? I think, you know, it certainly didn't happen overnight. And I was not interested in being introspective at the beginning. I was more in a survival mode. I didn't know anything about the disease. I didn't know what to look for, what to do. Um, it took me years to get up to speed and to understand the whole composite of this really complicated disease and how it takes a toll on my child. And then, you know, I have a, another child too. So I had other obligations. So I didn't... I didn't look inward for a while until he was about three or so when I started to realize that I was just not behaving personally in a way I wanted to behave. I was short-tempered, angry all the time, um, uh, impatient. I was kind of hyperventilating through life. I was like running from one place to another. It was all, almost as if I had this sense that at any moment, the bottom's going to fall out. The shoe's going to drop. He's going to be hospitalized. Our whole lives are going to be turned upside down. Um, it's sort of this invention of the what-ifs that I had going on in my mind. And it really wasn't until I started to meditate that I started to realize how crazy this mind was and that all the thinking and the pervasive monkey mind going on was driving the anxiety and driving the stress and driving that person that I didn't want to be. Mm. And, um, and Maggie, I just want to stop you there because there are so many people who, uh, and that was actually one of the stages that was identified in my study where it, it was survival instincts emerging. It was just this place of how am I going to survive this experience? And we can stay in that stage forever. If we're not, if we're not aware, if we don't do anything to, to move past that. But of course, that's the stage where we create illness and disease because the body just can't handle it. So when you were in that place and you said you were for like the first three years, did you have any physical or mental, emotional symptoms that you remember because of that, just walking around like that every day? Well, like I said, I was not the person I wanted to be. I wasn't the mom I wanted to be. I was, I was like you said, more in survival mode and living out of constant and consistent, never-ending fear, that that's what drove the show. The fear always drove the show. And that's when I started to really get in touch with what is that fear about? 
I started to really ask myself the questions and become a little more introspective. Like, what can I do to change my way of being that's going to shift something? And I think, I don't think in that moment that I was consciously aware that, that really what was going on was that I was afraid I, my son would die on my watch. And I felt a sense of responsibility to keep him alive and to know what was best for him and to know who to talk to and, you know, to try and cure this thing. And, you know, somehow I felt like it was all on me. And, and that drove part of that angst and that anxiety and um, perpetuated it for sure. And I don't think it was until I started to realize that you know, nothing lasts forever. It doesn't matter what it is. No relationship lasts forever, whether it's your marriage or your, you know, the flowers out there are going to bloom and they're going to die. Um, the dog's going to die, you know, and I think most of my fear was a fear of death or a fear of that, that things are not permanent. Like we, we get married and we think this will last forever, but really we still make a vow that says until death do us part, right? And so ultimately we will die. And so part of it was for me to get comfortable with this idea that nothing's permanent. It doesn't matter what it is. Nothing's permanent. And I remember hearing somewhere, and, and I always botch up quotes, but it was something like if you can... Uh, somehow make peace with the idea of not being afraid of death. You can do anything. Yep. It's true. It's true. I mean, I, I live, you know, from a, a Buddhist perspective and that is one of the biggest pieces of it is to, to not fear death. So how did you get to that place? Because from where you were in the state of anxiety and fear and overwhelm, how did you move through that? Well, like I said before, it certainly wasn't overnight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it took work. It took um, conscious effort. Mm -hmm. It took me being um, present and fully awake. And I think that that awakening came from my years of meditation. I knew something had to shift. I just didn't know what it was. And I knew it had to come from here. Mm -hmm. I knew that I... That there was nothing I could do to slow the progression of this disease or to shift my life back into that original picture I had of it or how I thought it was supposed to turn out. So that the only place that things could shift was here. And um, I started to meditate and then I started to soften and started to calm down long enough to be able to see the reality is that and, and I'll tell you that when I got this, I started laughing because what I got was, you're not in charge anyway, Maggie. What, whoever told you you were. Mm. And somehow, because I'm his mom and I had this perception that it's all on me, I thought I'm in control. I'm supposed to. It's my duty, my mm -hmm. responsibility to make this all better. And when I got that in that moment that I'm not in charge, I never was. And whoever gave me the idea that I was, and none of us really are. So part of it was realizing that I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. None of this is in my control. 
And, and you know, for all of you, my fellow control freak friends, I mean, that, that is me. And, and I always remind myself that I think, you know, here we think we can, you know, we can do it. We can handle it. We know better. It's like, who are we to think we know better than something way bigger than us? And we can keep trying. But if you notice so often, we're just swimming upstream or pushing that string uphill. And when we realize, you know what, maybe there is a better way we, we can be better off. So what did you notice? So you started meditating. How did you, what was the difference in what you felt and what you, in what you learned? I started to learn that I am not my thoughts, that my thoughts are just thoughts. That's all they are. And they're not true. And to start to question when I had certain thinking going that was trying to run the show and take me over to stop for a moment and ask myself, is that even true? Mm. Is that even real? Or am I just making this up? Because I think for most of us, we believe what we think. And very seldom do we check it out with anybody. Hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Am I on the right track? We don't do that. Not, I mean, I know a lot of us have a lot of girlfriends or, you know, if there's guys listening, you have your male friends. But do we really sit and ask those kinds of deep questions of our friends? You know, because again, going back to control, I've got it. I've got it handled. I don't need anybody. I got this. You know, I'm in charge. I got it. So why would I ask you if I'm on the right track? So you said something so important and it's so true. We believe, I, you know, I teach, we look at our thoughts as if they're facts and they're not, they're not. We can convince ourselves of anything and it's really just this accumulation of thoughts. And just because there are so many of them and we keep feeding them and they grow, we just start believing them and think that these are facts, but they're not. So really what it sounds like what you're saying is it's okay to question them. In fact, it's good to question them. Absolutely. I think that, you know, um, what is it? Contempt without investigation Mm. will kill all your relationships, right? Or any perception, like whether you want to take a particular class. Oh, well, I heard from so-and-so that that teacher's not very good or what? Oh, okay. So I won't take that class. So you make a decision based on someone else's perception or your own perhaps not correct perception. Mm -hmm. And you believe it's true without even investigating whether it's true. So it's like through, through your lens, but meanwhile, your lens could be cloudy or the person's lens could be cloudy. Exactly. So I could go through life and I could actually set up my life with my son as, oh, he's going to die early and he, I'm never going to be a grandma and, you know, gloom and doom and, you know, we're victims of cystic fibrosis. Or I could set up his life like, man, go balls to the wall, live your life to the fullest. And aren't you actually lucky that you know that your time here is limited? Because you can take the bull by the horns and just fly. And so you know you don't have as long to live. He even said that last week. He's 17 now. He'll be 17 in a few weeks. And what he said was, I know you think I'm depressed, mom, but I'm not depressed. I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do with my life because I know I'm not going to live a really long time. Wow. And that's from a 17-year-old boy. The wisdom in that. Isn't that crazy? 
That's it's beautiful. What a what a beautiful gift he's giving to you and just what you shared with us. It's uh, could you imagine? I mean, think about how many people are sleepwalking through life, and here he is at sixteen mm-hmm. with this awareness. That's wow, right. that's that's brilliant. Yeah. So so okay. So meditation was your. The, one of the ways that helped you make sense and make meaning out of this. And you also mentioned mindfulness. Can you just share the difference between the two? Yeah. I mean, with meditation, I, when I teach, when I teach meditation and mindfulness, I teach it in this way. Um, I suggest that meditation is your foundation. So your daily practice. And, and for me, it's 30 minutes twice a day of silent mantra based meditation. It doesn't have to be that long. Do whatever you have. There's a fantastic app called the Insight Timer. There are 4,000 meditations on there. And that is something I recommend to everyone. Mm-hmm. So making meditation a daily foundation of your day before you go out into the world. So I do RPM, rise, pee, meditate <laughs> every morning. Because you know as well as I do that the moment you start feeding the dogs and taking care of the kids and getting your coffee, the day's already going. Mm -hmm. So you're not Mm -hmm. likely to sit back down and and start over with meditation. So RPM, then go through your day. And in your day then comes in the mindfulness. And so mindfulness can look as simple as, this is one of the suggestions I have for my students, is take one of your five senses each day. Like today, let it be your eyesight. And as you go out through your day, just take a moment to be mindful of what you're seeing. Taking in the kids that are laughing across the street. Taking in that the clouds are starting to accumulate. Taking in that the cars are really driving fast or whatever that is. And then tomorrow, pick a different sense. Maybe it's your sense of smell. You know, do I smell the icky trash or do I smell old coffee grounds or a newly freshly mowed grass? You know, what am I smelling? So that's like the difference between mindfulness as a daily practice and meditation as your foundational practice. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like mindfulness is giving you something to to pay attention to and to become aware of. And meditation is more like trying to, I guess we can't really clear our mind, but trying to just relax is... Well, most people who come to me to learn meditation, they think, oh, I can't meditate. And I say, well, why not? Well, because I can't stop my thinking. Well, meditation isn't about you trying to stop your thinking. Because you can't. That's not possible. What meditation is about is for you to be able to notice that in that stillness, your thoughts start to stray and take you away. Mm -hmm. And then in that noticing, bring yourself back to that place of stillness, which is why I use a mantra. Because the mantra for me, the word mantra means um, a vehicle for the mind. So I use a mantra to help me come back when my head starts going into La Laville, mm. like all of ours does. 
And I, I love that you're saying this because I know I've felt so often like a, a meditation failure because I my mind would wander. But it's so true. You you can't stop. It's like you can't stop breathing. You can't stop thinking. It's just part of it. So as long as you keep bringing yourself back, is there some that's the practice? Yeah, that's the practice of meditation. Just and to bring yourself back. If you add the mindfulness throughout the day, then you're also practicing reminding yourself to tune into what's around you. Mm -hmm. Because if you're like 86% of the U.S. population, within five minutes of waking up, you're on your phone. You're either checking your social media, you're checking your texts, you're checking whatever game you've been playing, whatever that is. And so the moment you do that, you have placed yourself into a day of reaction. You started your day in reaction. Mm. Either reaction from someone else because you're reading their text or reaction to some like or post or a news story and you're off and running. So mindfulness and meditation are designed to have you tune back in to the present moment. Right. To, to coming back down to what's truly important today, now. Is it really important that I listen to CNN is the story going to be any different today than it has been last year? Mm, Probably that, not. It'll have so sprinkles true. of something new, but it looks the same. So but, true. So now as it relates to betrayal, is there a certain mantra maybe that that you found helps your clients or a certain practice because there's so much anguish and pain and a sense of rejection or abandonment or worthiness and so many emotions that we that we feel whether we're you know we were betrayed by a family member a partner a friend a coworker whatever is there something that comes to mind well i think again what's really important when you're thinking that you have been betrayed is for you to step back and actually survey the situation and ask yourself what was my part what was my part how did I contribute to this? Because I think if you can ask yourself that question mindfully and in the silence and in the stillness of your own room or wherever you have your, your silent space, if you can start to investigate the answer to that question. You can use this incidence of betrayal as a learning experience to help you grow and understand where perhaps you should have communicated your own needs or expectations differently or better, or perhaps you misinterpreted something or you missed something, or perhaps you were sleeping through part of the relationship and you didn't even notice that this person might've been cheating on you or what have you. So that's number one. And then a particular mantra I like to use is so hum. And that's S-O and then H-U-M. And it literally means in Sanskrit, I am. Mm. So if you can return to, to your very foundational essence, I am. This isn't going to kill me. This is an experience I had that really sucks, that has taken me down, that has caused me a lot of stress, strife, grief, pain, agony, whatever. Nothing's permanent. That pain, that sadness, that grief is not permanent. Just like joy and love and happiness are not permanent. So returning back to that ground state of I am helps us come back to just ground zero. 
Mm, beautiful. So, I, I, you know, it's really helpful that nothing is permanent in a good way, but in a, or in a bad way. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We what? can survive this. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like with, with my son and realizing that, you know, I am blessed to have this boy for as long as I get to have him. And he's not mine anyway. He's just on loan to me. He just landed in my house. And it's up to me to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get in the game 100%. And really all there is for me to do is what there is for me to do today in this moment and this moment and this moment every Mm -hmm. single day. It sounds like he's already taught you so many powerful lessons. Wow. Maggie, what do you want to make sure? Yeah. What do you want to make sure? He's my greatest teacher, really. I can see that. I can see that. And I'm sure for your daughter too, right? He's taught her some things too. What do you want to make sure everyone knows before we wrap up? Just that, that sense that we have responsibility in our relationships. And if we can step back and ask ourselves that question of, you know, what's my part? Where am I at cause here? Um, perhaps there can be some healing. Perhaps there can be some resolution. You know, I think I'm, I'm really blessed to have had this perspective going into my own divorce um, because he's one of my best friends now. Mm. And it's been six years and he comes for Christmas and he stays here in my house. And we've had our own sense of healing. And that's because we both owned both our parts. And I think that's the most important thing to take away is that we all have responsibilities in each and every one of our relationships. And we're not a victim. We are not victims. Yeah. Healing is possible. And here's your proof, everybody. Wonderful. Maggie, where do we learn more about you? Where do we go? Well, I am based out of San Diego, but I I do private and uh, personal coaching sessions online and through Zoom and also um, right here at my beautiful meditation center in San Diego. And you can reach me at satsanghouse.net and that's S-A-T-S-A-N-G house.net. Wonderful. Maggie, you help so many people with what you shared today. Healing is so possible and you you shed some brilliant light on what a lot of parents I'm sure are struggling with and, and really showed them a new way to look at it. So thank you for your time. We so appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I learned so much during that episode. Did you? I love Maggie's suggestion about RPM. Rise, pee, meditate. And it's so true. The minute we pick up that phone to check emails, social media, or whatever, we've become reactive versus proactively creating our day. Stay in touch with Maggie by visiting her at satsanghouse.net. And if you're in San Diego, stay at her Satsang House. I saw pictures of it and it looks so calming. Here's my biggest takeaway. Nothing is permanent. When you really make peace with that, Life just gets a bit easier because we attach less meaning to what we're going through, knowing it'll pass. I guess another lesson is because nothing is permanent, it's also really important to be present now and appreciate the beauty of the moment. When you do, we're squeezing more of the juice out of life instead of numbly 
getting through our days. And here's a bit more juice, a present from me. Head over to pbtinstitute.com and receive my gift of How Your Biggest Crisis Reveals Your Greatest Gift and let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.